Are you tired of bland Eurocentric fashion accessories? Do you want to feel seen when you step out? Well then, Huey Sons is the brand for you. Huey Sons is a pro-black accessories company that focuses on millennial style and Afrocentric values. They have a variety of products like lapel pins, buttons, hats, Apple Watch bands, and more. I bought some stickers and put them on my laptop, and I also have a few pins, and the quality of everything is great. You will definitely find something for yourself and all of your friends and family. Check out HueySons.com for the latest drop today. That's HueySons.com. Today's guest is Dr. Sai Linda Musain-Dapo. She goes by Dr. Sai. Dr. Sai grew up in the Chicago area and is a first-generation college graduate. She began her professional journey in nonprofit public health education, and then she taught middle school for three years. After that, Dr. Sai taught developmental education courses for underprepared undergraduate students while she was working on her master's degree in adult and higher education at Northern Illinois University. She continued and got her doctorate in adult and higher education, and she currently works as a higher ed practitioner, including her current work as a faculty coach for two major universities' online graduate programs through 2U Incorporated. She serves in multiple roles, including faculty member, student organization advisor, student retention expert, active church member, and active community member who leads grassroots initiatives for inclusion and human rights. Welcome, Dr. Sai. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, you know, all all that bio is great and dandy. <laughs> let me tell you why I'm excited that Dr. Sai is here. Because literally, you know, today, this is the first time we've spoken in years on years. I think the last time we saw each other was at the high school uh, cafeteria tables. Uh, mm-hmm. where we had no idea uh, what our what our futures held. Uh, we we barely understood that we got into college. Uh, right. We, we were excited to get from there, and now we're both sitting at the table with doctorate. So um, yes. I'm just trying to figure out how all that happened, and I think that's why <laughs> that's why we're here today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> super excited to be here i've been uh, looking forward to this awesome well we're super glad to have you so we're going to get started today with our intellectual capital segment this is a discussion of a black scholar's research academic journey or current events in the professional world and today we're going to hear about your research so first question what is the topic of your research and how did you become interested in it? So um, my research focused on I explored how African-American community college students perceived belonging. And I became interested in that. It's really a personal reason why I became interested. So um, when I graduated from high school, like Theo just Dr. Theo just said, like, I, I didn't know what college was. I didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, I had a very safe social circle in high school. I feel like um, I was really blessed to be able to be around a lot of strong, intellectual, creative, high-achieving Black kids. And so um, when I got accepted into um, 
an unnamed prestigious PWI, I was like, okay, whatever. It will just continue. Like I've always been good at school. And then I got there and I was really disoriented by the, um, the, the social aspect of it. Like I had, I knew how to interact in circles with people who weren't black, but I had not faced um, institutional or I had not realized that I had faced institutional racism the way that I did once I got to that school. And so um, I was there on an academic scholarship. I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I was like, went in like, yeah, this would be fine at school. I've always been good at school, but I ended up leaving that university because of the, the emotional and the sociological relationships that I, that I was like having trouble connecting. Um, and I transferred to another PWI, but at that PWI, one, it had higher concentration of, of black folk, but I also knew people there. Um, and so I learned firsthand that not having a sense of belonging on a campus could impact attrition. Like I never imagined that I would not complete undergrad in the traditional four years at the school that I started at. Um, so that's when my interest kind of started. But at that point, I still didn't know that I could actually have a career in higher education. So I was still thinking like I'm an educator. So I continued going, you know, the route of being prepared to teach K-12. Um, and in the back of my mind, I was always still kind of thinking, like, how can I help other people who are like me who didn't know what we were getting into when we went to college? Um, and so after I, I taught middle school for three years and then after that. When I went back to uh, get my master's degree in adult and higher education, that's when I really became interested in looking at student attrition, looking at retention practices, why people leave school in the first place, and specifically why African-Americans leave school. Um, and then from there, I started working at a community college, and I just fell in love with the mission all around of community colleges and the role of that um, basically play in the community, the role that they play to give people access to school that um, didn't have it before. Um, so all of that kind of joined together. <laughs> so my own personal experience, you know, um, understanding that belonging like impacted my own attrition and my own ability to complete, but then also um, wanting to like help other people. And then once I really started to understand the mission of the community college, I had to, it just seemed like the perfect match. Like I had to look at how African-American students at community college were perceiving belonging um, because we knew like from jump that, that a lot of those students were not completing or successfully transferring. That makes sense. I, I feel like, um, your, your story is really similar to a lot of folks we talk to. It's, it's really, and I, I think it, 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 uh, there's something about, you know, the black experience trying to make sure that the next person, you know, doesn't fall for the okie doke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think that right. speaks to our resilience as people. Like we, we're just, mm-hmm. we're just, we're such a strong and like resilient people. We're gonna find a way to like get out of any complicated situation we're in, and to prevent other people from going into it. But that's dope to hear that you know you had a similar, ended up having a similar journey. Um, can you tell tell us a little bit about um? you know, your research process and also um, like, t- tell us what you found from your research and what you want people to do uh, with your findings. Yeah. So I'll kind of start, I'll go backwards. Um, so what I want people to do, um, I want people to um, specifically education practitioners, that was my target audience. And 
we learn a lot of theory. We we are really good at creating acronyms and, um, you know, um, researching and studying patterns and behaviors of people. But what we have not been good at is considering intentionally researching marginalized populations. Um, and we also haven't been good as as an overall higher education institution. Um, we have not done a good job of making sure that our practices aren't perpetuating institutionalized racism um, and racist things that were established intentionally for the progression of white men and to exclude everyone else. So um, what I want us to do is to be thoughtful and to be intentional about equity and to be intentional about um, our practices in student development and in student affairs and specifically consider, you know, how the decisions we're making are impacting African-American students. So that's what I want us to do. But to back up, um, my research is grounded in critical theory because kind of what I just said, because, you know, I learned all of the theories that, you know, went through in my general higher education classes. And it became apparent very early that these theories and these practices were grounded in um, were grounded in a system that wasn't built for black folks and it wasn't built for people like me. And so for that reason, I approached the research process through the lens of critical race theory um, because I wanted to make sure that every aspect of my research, I was looking at it from how we could transform the relationship like between race and power and racism and power in American culture on campus. So um, I started off, I went also realized fairly early on that I was, I'm really interested in connecting, connecting with people's stories. Um, and so the qualitative route, um, for those of you who like haven't gotten that far yet in your, in your educational career, quantitative is more so, um, when you're looking at like the numbers and like statistical data and then qualitative often takes, um, that foundation of the statistical data, statistical data and explores the, uh, the, the aspects of, um, of a research that you can't really grasp with just numbers and graphs and such. Right. So like I really the why to and the story, story right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Help mm-hmm. me out. <laughs> I mean, I'm team, I'm, I'm quantitative, but I, okay. I love y'all, but it's all about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 honestly, I live in both worlds. Like I, we can't do one without the other and neither one will tell the whole story. So, um, as I started to go into my topic, though, I realized that uh, there's enough, there's so much quantitative evidence that Black people are being underserved in community colleges and that we're, you know, we're not persisting. And so I really wanted to get into the stories and understand how belonging was impacting that. And I felt the best route was to go through um, narrative inquiry. And so I went through with the qualitative route and wanted to really hear stories. I mean, that was really my main, my main uh, goal in my research was to just listen and to accurately um, tell the stories of the people who were gracious enough to share vulnerable and personal experiences um, that they had with the community college and within their community and in their families. So um, I same thing, though, when I started diving into narrative inquiry, I'm like, eh, this isn't for us. And so I ended up going through going through a critical narrative inquiry, which um, highlighted the counter narratives of the students. So not just um, the mainstream narratives that we hear, but I wanted to um, to hear those counter narratives of um, of my participants. Let me ask you this. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned, um, you know, part of your research, you just wanted to listen. 
Um, how many, how many folks that, that you interviewed mentioned something to the effect of, you know, this is the first time I've been listened to. This is the first time I've been telling my story, right? Every single one of them said this was the first time that they felt that it was the first time someone asked. Yeah. And, and that's, that's telling, you know, a lot of times we're doing these things and we're experiencing this stuff and we feel like we're out here all alone. And like nobody ever asked, nobody or, mm-hmm. or either nobody asked or or the people around us might not understand, right? So we haven't said anything, right? Yeah. Here, yeah. here, here comes this researcher. Do, do, do. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Right? That that looks like you. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. That was a big part. That was a um, honestly in most of my in most of my interviews. Those, you, you just highlighted two things that came up and in all of them, everyone said, this is the first time I'm talking about this with another person. Like no one has ever asked. And then also almost everyone highlighted uh, how important it was for them. Not only that I was a researcher that looked like them, but um, my husband was born in Zimbabwe. And so I was also interviewing, I ended up interviewing a few people who are African-American in the sense that they're like first generation Americans. Um, or second generation, first and second generation. And so also they, they appreciated being able to connect with someone who understood kind of a little bit of the differences and the, the dissonance that happens sometimes on campuses between um, black folks who came, you know, 400 years ago, or, you know, through slavery and then black folks who immigrated here more recently. It, it's, it's so amazing how, like, no matter where we go, there, there's going to be some similarities and, like, that happened to you too. <laughs> but that, that that wasn't just an individual uh incident. Right. Oh. And they will have you thinking happened. you're crazy. Oh. It is gaslighting. For <laughs> <laughs> real. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a big part of why I chose belonging in the first place too, is because in just even in practice, like even in my first like on-campus community college job, I realized right away that everybody thought they were going through things by themselves. Like, people, they didn't realize that they were having the same struggles as the person sitting in the class right next to them, you know? I've been thinking about exactly what you said when you said, like, this is what I want people to do with this Mm -hmm. research. I mean, really, we just want people to use it, right? Please. (laughs) It's... We just, I don't know how many more of these studies we need to do for college administrators to go, oh, let's go ahead and fix this. Because there's so many brilliant researchers, so many brilliant, um, you know, articles, and they all have like, this is what I want you to do with this research at the end. And still, That's generation after generation, right, generation after generation of, you know, black college student is experiencing the same thing. And it's probably going to take so, so many of us to be in um, positions of power for us to be able to just use the research because we're super smart, right? Obviously. So many people do this research, right? It's not just the black community. Yeah. And we're all coming up with the same thing. So, yes. If you're a college I administrator, <laughs> well, look, I don't, I don't want them just to to use uh, the research. I want them to cite me. Mm-hmm. Oh, that too, of course, right? <laughs> and they will. They gonna cite us. 
they're gonna see they're gonna fight us but we'll 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 raise up a we'll raise up a generation of uh of educators and practitioners who will will keep the legacy going but it's, it is also an opportunity for us to like be intentional about rebuilding our communities and um bringing the capital both the social social intellectual financial all of that capital back into back into our communities i totally agree so that's the end of the intellectual capital segment for today. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. Have you ever felt the need to let people know who you are and who you are not in a professional setting? Well, now you can with a critical race theorist or a culturally relevant pedagogist T. Get your swag and stay motivated by going to staymotivatedandrisetogether.com slash shop. All right, we're back. So our community capital segment is a is a discussion about uh, a black professional's journey, you know, best practices, lessons that you've learned. Um, so I really want to take this time to dig deep into uh, more about your pathway um, in terms of we we talked a little bit about, um, you know, your 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 start in, in school, um, you know, how you chose your, your institutions and, and a little bit of that process. But talk about. Um, how you selected your major, um, and and tell tell us that in terms of you know, your thought process that is going from you know an undergrad degree to ending up with a doctorate. Like, what was the yeah. what were those thought processes like? Nonlinear for sure. Um, you know, when I was coaching students actively, one of the first thing grad students, one of the first things I would say is that grad school does not respect. I'm sorry that life does not respect grad school is what I used to say all the time. Like my first semester, um, my first semester. So let me back up a little bit. Career path. So fresh out of undergrad, I worked in community public health education for a little bit while I waited to get my first teaching job. Um, and so then I got a job teaching at a uh, predominantly white Christian K-12 school in a rural city um, in Illinois. And I, it was a Christian school, conservative Christian school. I was the first black academic teacher they had hired ever. They haven't opened 35 years full time. Um, they had like, you know, hired, hired us for, to do other things, but not to primarily teach. And so um, taught there for three years, but I'm t- saying all this to build up to a point to how I transitioned into grad school in 2009. I, um, I've, somehow injured my neck I don't know how I fractured my neck and so I ended up um getting like having to leave the job that I was at and that forced me to go back into grad school um so um from there I was like what am I going to do and that's when I really started to discover that I could actually like make a career out of higher ed um so when I transitioned there um I started teaching like at the university level and um I fell I just fell in love with the students. I fell in love with the process and I saw so much opportunity and so much, so much impact that I could make already. Um, so it just opened my eyes to a whole new world. Um, I started teaching developmental reading, developmental writing, developmental uh, study skills. And I just hustled from there. Like, uh, while I was getting my master's, I was teaching at the university. I would drive down the street, teach at the community college. Um, I was playing guitar on the weekends for money. I was taking pictures. I was a photographer. I got like started, started a business. 
like this has to work and then in the middle of that y'all my house got struck by lightning and burned down so like in the middle what? of my first semester of grad school my house got struck by lightning i had just built the house the year before now got struck by lightning burned down lost everything um but i was like all I have, right? It, it was a blessing for me because all I legit had was my education. And I was in the first class of my grad program. And the class I was taking, I had to take in order to teach that fall. So, like, and my boss was teaching it. Like, there was just no, I felt like I didn't have any room to not be successful. Um, and so, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with just the resilience that we have. Like, I, I had to use that. Um, that experience to like I used that experience to drive me towards the one thing that couldn't burn down um I could the one thing that my health couldn't impact and that was my intellectual capital you know it was it really drove it really drove my passion despite the racism despite the the microaggressions despite the physical challenges I was having despite the fact that I didn't have a toothbrush or shoes because the house burned down like I had what I had in my in my mind and I had the social and intellectual capital that I had to to move forward and to be successful and ultimately that drove me I mean the reason I ended up getting my doctorate um while I was in the master's program I was standing uh I was at Moody I was taking one of the classes at the satellite in at Moody downtown Chicago and uh I'm standing in the window and my with my professor he's we're like on a break um guy from Chile and we're looking out the window and he's like, you need to get a doctor. And I'm like, nah, this is good. He's like, no, like we need your voice. We need the, the things that you contribute in this class. Like we need your voice in the field. And that one person kind of gave me the courage to be like, all right, I'll apply and see what happens, you know? Um, but yeah, so that's how I, that's how I ended up continuing the journey. Like one or two folks that like make that light bulb come on. Like, yep, mm-hmm. I yeah. got it. I just needed one person I respected to tell me I could do it. So I'm a faculty relationship manager for a company, education technology company called To You. And what To You does is it partners with um, graduate programs like universities around the world and helps them bring their graduate programs online so that more students have access to those programs. And so um, that includes a variety of wraparound services like admissions and marketing all the way through. And so I'm in a little um, the faculty success niche. And so my role is to I work with faculty one on one and I help them. I help coach them into best practices for bringing Either some for some of them, this is their first teaching job. So just like basic strategies for teaching and engaging students and all of that. But then also um, for those who've been teaching, I also work with a lot of people who employ attorneys and CEOs who've been doing their job for forever and been teaching in a classroom forever. But this whole teaching online thing is like odd and intimidating for some people. So I help um, help kind of coach them on the best way to keep their classes engaging and to help use the technology to interact with their students in a meaningful way, um, sometimes more meaningful ways than they do on campus. Um, Mm -hmm. But the most fulfilling part of my job, while that's fulfilling, is actually the side hustle part of my job. So I'm very involved in uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, 
um, for for the company as well. Uh, I am the the chair for the Black Engagement Network for our Denver office. We have offices kind of spread out around the world. Um, and especially right now, we've been getting um, an increase in faculty asking for how how do they know that their classroom is being inclusive? How do they know that their teaching practices are equitable? How do they how do they deal with uh, you know, if one student is makes a racist remark or is being uh, microaggressive toward another student. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they want to know how to deal with this. And so the most fulfilling part of my job right now is uh, we're working on developing a teaching certification that's focused on equity and inclusion for higher ed faculty. Um, and that'll be a, an online series. Um, we're working on. Um, you know, and I've been we've been doing this kind of on the low, like on the side all around. But now, because of the social climate that we're in and with the Black Lives Matter movement, it's given so much fuel. Um, and so now um, we've also been doing I've been doing internal training for the other people who work with faculty. And we're aligning with the folks who work with students as well um, to, you know, establish a clear framework that we're presenting across the board. Um, for preparing the students to be in an equitable and diverse classroom and to learn, but also, you know, helping faculty do things like analyze your syllabus. Um, what articles are you using? What can you do to make your classroom more inclusive? Those sorts of things. So that's actually the most fulfilling part of my job, even though technically it's only about 3% of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when I think about what's next, I I have a lot of ways I can go. Um, I definitely want to get back in the classroom. I took a break from teaching to wrap up my doctoral research and then grow I grew a human. So I'm like now I'm like, okay, it's time to get back in the classroom. Um so looking to get back in the classroom for sure. That you know, on the uh, in addition to the role I'm doing. Um and then ultimately I'm still working towards a goal of being a vice president of student services. Yeah. So, Come on, VP. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Then there will be no excuses for for uh, not having an inclusive practices and not really being intentional about how we're serving students. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just said something that that made Jackie smile. She's like, "Ah, dismantle the system from the inside." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, we have to. I, yeah, I mean, that's I feel like I can't say we have to, but I personally feel called to do mm-hmm. so, um, and I feel like I have a, a grace to to um, help shift people's mindsets in a way that's also safe. It's disorienting, but it's also safe. And I want to use that. I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. So, you know, we often have that one person that inspires our work that we look up to um, that has maybe helped us along the way. Um, Do you want to shout out a, you know, is there one professional as you, um, you know, approach a career where you're able to use your research and others' research on equity and inclusion, right? Is there one person who you would like to shout out? It's hard. I don't like this question ever because I am such a product of my community. Like, mm. I dedicated my, my dissertation to Chicago, and I said, like, um, this is for Chicago, but because you believed in me, I believed in me. And, like, I am... I genu- I was raised by a community of people. Like I have many mothers and I have many fathers. Like of course, like shout out to my, my bi- biological parents, but mm-hmm. um, even my biological parents like gave me bonus parents. And <laughs> and then uh, the black church plays such a major role in my development and continues to. Like I learned 
I learned how to be so maybe let's say the black church this time instead of Chicago, like because I learned creative expression. Um, I learned public speaking. I learned how to articulate my thoughts. I learned how to interact with difficult people. I learned um, I learned what it was like to to suffer along somebody side somebody who has who's dealing with addictions or, you know, who uh, how to forgive and love somebody who stole from you in your face. Like there's just so much I learned from the <laughs> from the black church um, and um, my passion and drive for the next generation and for the community came from the community of folks that raised me. I mean, even I even learned how to drive from my youth leaders. Like so much of my life, my first job came from from a relationship with the church. So so much of my life, um, I'm a product of the community. I am the result of what it takes what happens when you have a village raise a child. So um I'll shout out Chicago always and mm-hmm. uh shout out I shout out the black church this time too. So are there any uh, professional or social orgs that you've been a part of um, that have helped you pers- that have helped you professionally, um, allowed you to connect with the community, allowed you to give back to the community in addition to, you know, the community in Chicago and your black church? Also, uh, I'm a member of Eligium Adult Five Christian Sorority, um, so still active with that um, as well. Of course, I mentioned the Black Engagement Network. Um, for to you, which is a global network, so we we collaborate, you know, with our counterparts in Cape Town um, and across the U.S. Um, NASPA and you know the General Student Affairs. I haven't been as involved in those recently, um, but they definitely played a big role. Black Graduate Student Association; those organizations played a big role in my initial networking and building my my first uh, kind of group of professional um, professional peers. And I think it's important to note, right, like for especially for our listeners who are thinking about grad school or currently in grad school. Right. You can get involved with things that are on campus. There are national orgs Mm -hmm. that have graduate school, graduate student specific things. Um, You can find things at your church. Right. Like you can Mm -hmm. find community wherever you are to give you all of the, you know, all of the support, the skills, the whatever you need. Sometimes you just need to see somebody that looks like you and like hang out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that is priceless at times because yeah. grad school is lonely. <laughs> it is. Oh, one big thing. The uh, the Deltas put through here in Denver, mm-hmm. um, they did a conference for educators. And it was because of that conference. I attended that conference because I attended that conference that I met um the link that would lead to my first group of participants for my research study so I, I definitely have to shout them out here too because okay. had they not you know set that stage I, I don't know who knows I might still be struggling to find find participants <laughs> trying to figure it out <laughs> so yeah that was uh that was also that was huge because um at that conference like I didn't know anybody but I'm like mm, hi I'm black you're black can anybody talk to me and I I ended up really making some some strong connections there um, so yeah, I got to shout the Deltas out too. The Denver Deltas specifically. Okay, yeah. Denver chapter Delta Sigma Theta sorority. That's right. I think um I think the last little bit um I know in your bio you talked about just having the the importance of having a growth mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Touch a little bit on that. Yeah, uh, for sure. So the opposite of a growth mindset is a fixed mindset, and that is when we really get stuck. Um, 
when we get stuck on what we believe and what we believe is true and aren't, aren't um, open to other perspectives. And it's, you know, anyone who's going to be a lifelong learner and anyone who's going to be um, who's dedicated to continually growing as a human and as a person needs to have a growth mindset. Um, I learned mostly about the growth mindset from navigating microaggressions in corporate uh, in corporate America. Um, so I'd say, especially right now, um, things are changing rapidly around us. Our society's changing. The rules are blurry. Um, you know, people are afraid to talk, but need to talk. And then others are, are saying things that they've never said before, um, because it's time for, for, for people to listen. So, um, the, the thing I want to grasp onto as a person and as a human is the, um, the drive to continually evolve and the drive to continually open my mind up to perspectives that I hadn't previously considered. And I think it's important for all of us um, and, and particularly black folks, because we still live in a society where we we do have to you know, navigate um, code switching and like mainstream culture and, and, you know, helping other folks understand who we are, regardless of whether or not we feel like we should have to. We have to right now. And so um, and understand our experiences. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's not going to help anybody if we're not modeling a growth mindset while we're still at the same time asking our counterparts to have a growth mindset. So we need to have it so we can model it, but also um, it's the only way that we're going to grow and progress as people is for all of us to continue to grow and, you know, try to look for opportunities to be better. Perfect. Yes. All right. So thank you so much, Dr. Sai, for being on on the show today. It has been a pleasure having you. I hope our listeners, um, you know, definitely look you up and look out for you because you are going to do a lot of good in this world. Yes, we are. We are. We all are. Um, you can, if anybody's interested, you can find out all of the things that are happening with me at com. And with that, that's a wrap. We're out. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Remember, the way we build social capital is to build self and build others. Make sure you got some notes on your tablet, computer, or even using a pen and paper. Leave us a review. Continue the conversation on social media at Black Social Cap. And share the show with someone you know. Until the next episode, stay motivated and rise together.